What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you are a small business owner who is from a disadvantaged background, who's a minority, who's a woman, your ability to replace that cash is much diminished because if you are black or brown, you likely live in a community where there is not a bank that is willing to loan to you. For so many small business owners, they look at your personal credit versus your your business credit. And business owners are always going to try to keep the business going because that's what pays for their personal lives. And so the challenge is that you're being judged on the wrong factors. And then the larger issue for us was how do you change the system? You're listening to What I Know. I'm Christine Legorio Chafkin. Today's episode The Real Risk is Not Trying. Sometimes, at first, failure looks like success. Sometimes the dream is the same thing that causes the downfall. That's one of the lessons my guests today experienced firsthand. When their company hit an inflection point that didn't cause it to soar, it crippled it. They are three-time entrepreneurs who have started all three businesses together. You'll know one of them as not just an entrepreneur, but also a politician, a voting rights activist, and a best-selling author. She is Stacey Abrams. Her co-author and co-founder of Now, Nourish, and Insomnia is Lara Hodgson. And their new book, Out Today, is called Level Up, Rise Above the Hidden Forces, Holding Your Business Back. In it, they detail the struggles they encountered in scaling their businesses and what other founders can learn from those growing pains. Turns out their new venture, called Now, is trying to solve some of those problems and change the game in terms of keeping cash flowing for founders. But before Stacey Abrams and Laura Hodgson started working together, Stacey tells me she was a bit of a reluctant entrepreneur. Only to the extent that I really like Dynasty. Hmm. <laughs> I'll ask you to explain a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> so Dynasty was a show that came on uh, ABC, it was about this uh, tycoon family in Denver, Colorado, and Blake and Alexis Carrington were the the stars, and the titular uh, you know, notion of the story was that a family could make absurd amounts of money together and go through all manner of uh, intrigue and still come out on top. And how did you two come together? How did you meet? I know, Stacey, you've said um, in the past that you were a reluctant entrepreneur. Um, what was your first venture and how did it come together? Laura and I met because we were both in the leadership program. I was at the time a deputy city attorney for Atlanta. She was the VP at a real estate company. We were in this program together. Laura is much more effervescent than I am and came up to me at lunch in this program because we had a shared ambition that we talked about during the program. I was like, who is a strange woman? Why is she talking to me? Laura has never met a stranger, but more than that, she is 
dynamic. And so I got over my normal reticence and we had lunch together and we just became friends. We were in the same study group for the program. When I ran for office, I made the decision to step down from my job. It wasn't required, but I wanted to focus and I thought it would be inappropriate, which meant I had to finally make a living for myself. I was not interested in that. I like paychecks, but I needed, (laughs) I wanted to win. So I was going to run for office and I had a client. I was doing that work and Laura and I were staying in touch. She was, she just had her, her um, son and she was looking to transition as well. And so I'd come to the end of my first contract. She was looking to leave. We were exchanging emails at two or three in the morning and Laura actually found a client for this non-existent business that we had. And she said, well, this is the, this thing I've been asked to do. What do you think? And so I'm like, well, we should approach it this way. And then she would email back and we were essentially consulting on this project that neither of us actually had at three o'clock in the morning. And so we decided one to create a consulting firm, two to call it insomnia because we were up doing it. (laughs) And three, that we made a really good team. That's fantastic. Um, And how long did you run insomnia for? Oh, insomnia existed from 2006 through 2011. Yeah, it ran in parallel to Nourish. To me, what was really interesting is a lot of people start out with an idea and then they go try to find a problem to solve. Stacy and I kind of looked at each other and I just remember thinking, you're the smartest person I've ever met. Um, Likewise. And she said, well, you're the smartest person I've ever met. We should do something together. So what's interesting is we started with the idea that we wanted to do something. We didn't know what the something was yet. Um, which a lot of people would think is backwards, but I think it was actually great because we knew we had the person we wanted to do it with. Then we kind of stepped back and said, what problems exist out there that we can solve? So it was really driven by the people and the problem, not the solution looking for a problem. Sure. And, and then you, it seemed like you had clients like right away um, that, that helped you start the business. Now, what's fascinating is you two have actually started uh, multiple businesses. Now, at this point, you've gone through a series of different industries and different ideas. And in your new book, which is called Level Up, Rise Above the Hidden Forces Holding Your Business Back, you write about um, one of your companies in particular called Nourish. And you write about how one of the biggest moments of success for your company was almost immediately triggered its biggest crisis. Tell me a little bit what Nourish what Nourish was. Yeah. So Nourish was a spill-proof bottled water for babies and toddlers. So if you were on the go and you needed to mix a bottle, the purified water was already in there. It was pre-measured. There were, you know, volume markings down the side. And the top was actually a baby nipple or a sippy top. So it was ready to serve. Perfect for moms on the go or anybody that might find themselves in a location where they couldn't access clean water. Um, So we did a lot of work with disaster relief, et cetera. But the moment that you speak of where it was our biggest accomplishment, but perhaps the, you know, the the beginning of the end is when we got our first big client. Because like many companies, you start out with small local customers. That's a great way to start because it's safe to test things and not, you know, sort of have an epic failure. So about a year into the business, we got our first big order from a national retailer. And on, on the surface, We had bagged the big deal. We had accomplished what every small business entrepreneur hopes to accomplish. We had visions of being on the cover of Fortune and, you know, being um, in all these magazines, Inc., et cetera. (laughs) 
Um, But we had visions of being on the cover of success, right? Like we were going to be the success. And what we quickly realized is that these large customers and these large orders will not write you a check when you deliver the product. Um, Instead, they want an invoice and that invoice will say net 30, net 60, net 90, and you are not going to get paid in 30, 60, or 90 days. That's just a suggestion. And so we quickly realized that the growth that we had worked so hard for, that big order, that dream customer, was actually going to exhibit a behavior that became a burden for us, that essentially made us the free bank to this large customer. And most small businesses cannot afford to be the free bank and wait to get paid 30, 60, or 90 days and still pay their employees and their suppliers. And so that was our, you know, in a way, had we not had that problem, we wouldn't have known that that problem existed for so many small businesses. And it wasn't until, I mean, quite frankly, I think when we first had the problem, we thought it was our fault that we had done something wrong or that we had missed something or we had negotiated poorly. But as we talked to more and more people, they said, everyone has this problem. All small businesses have this problem. And when Stacy and I heard that, we thought, wait a minute, if everyone has this problem, there's a bigger opportunity here. I would say the corollary was that not only did we realize it was a problem, we thought it was a solvable problem. We had created a product, we had built a customer base, we had made our, our way into spaces we weren't expected in, we were in hotels, we were in airports. And so while this was a matter of volume, It was also a question of scale. Our success at a small scale was absolutely set. We were doing well. The challenge was that in order to justify our existence, we had to grow. And for so many small businesses, it's that justification, it's that pain point where the cost of doing business has to mean that you are getting a higher return on investment. And we didn't have a way to do that. And so the solution for us was how do you solve this problem, not simply of not being able to scale, but when scaling can crush you. That's where we really were. It's so fascinating that that moment of scaling, that that's what that's the dream businesses, you know, go they're going for. Um, that's what can be so crushing. How did you react as a business at that time? I mean, how did you, you try to solve it? And then what? So Laura serves as our CEO. I served as our COO. And we had a dual strategy. Laura was out selling and I was out begging. (laughs) So part of my job was to convince our suppliers to keep supplying until we could afford to pay them and to call our customers and get them to pay us. Laura had to go and find more customers so that we could possibly gen up additional revenue. But she was also getting us in front of our banks, in front of investors, and we would have to go in and, and basically pitch this promise that we had. And, and this goes to Laura's point in the book, and I think a larger point that we try to make, we didn't look like success in the eyes of so many. And the challenge is that when you don't look like what success is supposed to look like, then convincing people to take a risk is nearly impossible. And so a lot of our time in, in between the great moment of this opportunity and our demise was trying to calibrate those two pieces. And that calibration just didn't work for us. 
How did you know when the moment was to call it, to say, this isn't what's working for us? And how did that change your kind of definition personally of what is success or what is failure? We didn't die instantly. And for so many small businesses, that's the other piece. There was no cinematic moment of you're getting your prognosis and now it's over. Our first moment of death looked like success. It was when Laura got the call that we had this opportunity. I, of course, was skeptical because that's my nature. But even then, my skepticism was how well could we do this, not could we do this. And for so many small businesses, it's the the spiral down that we faced that so many will face. It took years. It took months to get a sense of the scope of the problem. It took more months to try to tackle the problem, but it took years to wind down. And in the interim, what we did and that I encourage so many small businesses to do is that we try to solve not only the problem for Nourish, but we also as is Laura and my bent, we tried to solve the problem itself. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like Stacy said, there was not a, we woke up one day and said, oh my gosh, we're going to call it. For a lot of small businesses, we view the fact that they just stay alive as that they didn't fail. And Stacy and I don't think failure is a bad word. We think failure is actually, it's, it's, it's a part of learning. It's a part of moving forward. Um, so we don't avoid it. We don't say that it's just acceptable. It's actually something to be looked at, studied, and and used as your stepping stone to the next thing. But I think, you know, more businesses are treading water than growing. And treading water isn't necessarily success. But unfortunately, that's kind of how we define it for small businesses. If you just stay alive, you're okay. And small businesses are such a critical part of the economy that staying alive isn't enough. We should be helping them grow and scale. And so, you know, as we were going through that, there's this constant oscillation between despair and hope that goes on in your brain. Because on one side, you see that the growing isn't working and you're, you know, you're sort of on this treadmill, but there's always that hope that, you know, success is just around the corner. The thing that's going to sort of break you out of that survival mode is just around the corner. So, you know, for a lot of entrepreneurs, you do hold on. It's like your child. You're not quick to give it up. I probably held on to it emotionally longer than maybe everyone around me did. And my husband actually said one day, sometimes holding on is giving up, right? Because you're, you're holding on to it for so long. Meanwhile, you've identified this problem that people aren't getting paid. You've started to develop a solution for it. And, and I was still sort of holding on to both for a while. So how did you come to pivot your mind as well and put more energy into the organization that would become now? Well, I think that's the benefit of a partner is that the partner balances out where your weaknesses. Um, and Stacy and I have always been great at pointing out when someone else, when the other of us doesn't see something the way they see it. And I think at one point Stacy said, "Why are we still playing around with this water thing <laughs> when we have this bigger opportunity here?" Um, and she was right. And so, you know, one of the best things about a business partner is not somebody to just pat you on the back when you're feeling down, but really to kind of shock you out of your own myopathy when you're stuck in your in your tunnel. When we come back, I'll talk with Stacy and Lara about what's broken in small business and how they plan to fix it. But first, a quick break. 
You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Could you tell me about now? I'd love to hear the motivation for it and the problems that you're hoping to solve. Now was born, as we said, of the realization that what we faced, this inability to monetize our invoice. And, and just to, to encapsulate it, we got a huge order. We had the opportunity to meet the order only if we could scale and if we could meet their requirements. But we also knew they weren't going to pay us for some time. And it's what's known as net 30, as so many of your listeners understand. 30 days after you send in your supplies and your, your, your product and your invoices, they will get around to paying you. And net 30 really means net 60, net 90, sometimes net never, depending on the company. If you're a small business, that is an almost impossible standard to meet when you're trying to scale because you can you can lend essentially that money for a short period of time if the invoice is small, but the larger the invoice grows, the more risk you have that you're not only not going to get your payment, but you're, you can't pay your staff. You can't buy new product. You can't keep running your business. And so Now Account, which is the, the product that we have through Now Corp. Now account was designed to buy the invoice, to essentially get you your money now. And it's a straightforward construct. It came about because of conversations Laura and I had, conversations we had with one of the gentlemen who told us we couldn't have money when we were trying to raise money for Nourish, but we brought it, he was one of our business partners when we launched. And the whole construct is that small businesses have capital. It just happens to be on loan constantly to major companies. And we will get you your money now. And so we started the company while Nourish was still in its spiral. And Laura has grown the company as our CEO to an extraordinary concern. So I'll turn it back to Laura. I, I think what's really interesting is, as Stacy said, small businesses lend more than they ever borrow. We just don't think about it that way because any time you send an invoice that allows someone to pay you later, you've made a loan to that customer and usually it carries zero interest. And then common advice has always been, well, if you need cash, you should go borrow money or factor or do any of these financy type things. But the reality is the only reason you need money is you just gave yours away, right? <laughs> so, so you just lent yours to your customer for free, and then we tell you to go borrow money. And since neither Stacy nor I came from a finance background, we were willing to ask what many would have thought was a really stupid question, which is why in the world are we solving this by telling businesses to borrow more money? Why don't we relieve them of the burden of being the free bank? And so when Stacy and I and, and, our, and our other partners sat down, we, we really looked at everything that was out there and we were inspired by the credit card system. Because if you think about it, when you swipe your card at a retailer, they get paid immediately. It's not a loan. It's not factoring. They're not financing anything. They're simply getting paid immediately. And for that service, they pay a flat fee. 
And so we were really inspired by that to create Now Account, which allows small businesses to get paid immediately in a way that is not a loan or factoring, and it feels like taking a credit card. And by changing the way they get paid, it changes everything. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you were also motivated, if I'm correct, by something really important kind of structurally in our systems, which is is that, I guess I should say the result of which is that minority-owned firms are more likely to be denied bank loans and to pay higher interest rates for credit, as you write. Um, they're less likely to even apply for loans because they fear they'll be denied. Women-owned ventures account for just 16% of conventional small business loans and 17% of SBA loans. Um, are, are you? How are you working to improve those numbers or make a dent in that um, inequality there? We begin with this understanding that capital matters and where you get your capital matters. To Laura's point, we were solving the problem at its source, which was you have cash that you cannot use because you are being compelled to loan it for no interest to someone who needs it less than you do. And if you are a small business owner who is from a disadvantaged background, who's a minority, who's a woman, your ability to replace that cash is much diminished because if you are black or brown, you likely live in a community where there is not a bank that is willing to loan to you. For so many small business owners, they look at your personal credit versus your your business credit And business owners are always going to try to keep the business going because that's what pays their personal, uh, that pays for their personal lives. And so the challenge is that you're being judged on the wrong factors. And then the larger issue for us was how do you change the system? And Laura and I both believe in systemic thinking that we could have solved the problem for now. I mean, for Nourish, we could have solved the problem for a small group, but we wanted to think, how do you solve the problem and how do you change the way we talk about the problem. That was the impetus for Level Up. That's the impetus for the businesses we we run. But more than anything, it's also about changing the mindset of small business owners who feel that they have to be held captive by a system that existed before they arrived and will persist after they're gone. And our hope is that when people actually understand the structure of the system, that there is no inherent native good to net 30. It is simply part of what the economy has been built on, but we can change it and we know we can change it because it changed from business to consumer conversations when the credit card was created. We have the opportunity to shift the mindset and it's especially essential because what now has prided itself on since our inception is that we have been in relationships with women-owned business organizations, with minority organizations with veterans organizations. We want those who are the most likely to benefit from success to be our first customers. But we've also done the work of making sure we share our knowledge and our data so that it's not just about the bottom line for us. It's also about the advancement of this conversation in the public space. What's the biggest challenge been so far in starting up now and getting the word out about it? I think the biggest challenge has been what Stacy just mentioned, which is changing people's mindsets, because everyone believes that the existing solutions are the only way to do it, which is why when people look at Stacy and I and say, wait, you don't come from a banking or a finance background. How did you come up with this innovative solution? It's because we don't come from that background. We weren't smart enough, quite frankly, in the world of finance to know what we couldn't do. 
And so, you know, we fundamentally said if the existing system is set up to create barriers and create obstacles, then why don't we look at a different system? And we were open to that. So, you know, looking outside of finance and instead saying, well, wait a minute, 99 cents of every dollar that goes into a business comes from their customers in the form of revenue. Why don't we approach this from a payment acceleration perspective instead of a financing and lending perspective? But that's not easy to change people's minds. And so when they hear about Now Account, their first reaction is, wait a minute, is this just a loan? Is it just factoring? And it's because those are the only two buckets that they know exist. And so our biggest challenge has just been getting small businesses to realize that getting paid immediately should not be too good to be true. It should be the way it works. So let's not accept the shortcomings of the long-held system as the way it has to work. Now, you two have started three businesses together. You've worked together for years. I feel like you might have some advice for other entrepreneurs in working with a co-founder. I know you obviously have a great deal of respect for one another. What else does it take to get through not just the good times, but the times when you are literally shutting down a business or literally saying, well, that didn't work? How do you still relate to each other? And and how do you get through those tough times? Well, one thing I would say, um, and Stacey and I talk about this a lot, is finding someone that you respect inherently, but that maybe your lives don't overlap in every way. So, you know, for example, people often think I'm going to take my BFF and go start a business together, but every aspect of your life is overlapped. I think what is has been great with Stacy and I is that we met in a context that we inherently we're amazed with each other and respect each other. And we know that we align on things like character and things that are, are not you know, negotiable. But on any given day, our children don't go to the same school together. We don't go to the same church. We, do, we don't spend 24 hours a day in each other's circles. And that's healthy because it allows us to each sort of go back to our own circle, refresh, rejuvenate, bring different perspectives to the table, so that that diversity that that brought us together continues, right? A lot of times I think people come together and think that they think differently, but then their lives overlap so much that they start to think exactly the same. And and we don't have that. We we constantly have the ability to to look at things differently. I would add paperwork. <laughs> it, it matters. <laughs> and, and and by that I mean Laura and I have rules. When we started our first company, we talked about how we wanted to work together and we wrote it down. We signed NDAs with one another. So we know what we talk about, what we don't. Her husband signed an NDA uh, for Nourish. But more than that, we, when we make decisions, we write them down because in the midst of conflict, it's easy to remember why you like someone when you're happy. But when there's a conflict, trying to remember how you got to where you are is hard. Uh, Mark Twain said, I remember everything from my youth, whether it happened or not. <laughs> we have a remarkable ability to construct our memory of, of events. And so Laura and I had rules and we wrote them down and we could check gut check one another. We had agreements about how money got divided up. Because when you are in the midst, not of the easy things or the big things, but those intermediate ones, the ones that aren't clear cut, you've got to have something to go back to. And so often people end up going back to them in court. 
I'm a lawyer by training. She's finance by training. But both of us understood that it wasn't about diminishing the utility of our partnership. It was about enhancing it because we never had to guess where we were. And that meant that when we did have, to Laura's point, when we had to discuss hard things, when we had tough conversations, we were always grounded in a shared value system, but we also had evidence of our intentions. And that gave us the ability to really focus on what was driving the conversation. So if there was tension, we weren't distracted by all these externalities that weren't real. We could focus on what really was going on because when you work that closely, when your livelihood depends on someone else, there is going to be tension. There is going to be worry. But what there can't be is doubt about integrity. And you get beyond that by setting it down on paper, but also by having the conversation. So yes, paperwork is important, but you can't get through the paperwork without conversation. And that's something Laura and I are really good about. We talk it through. We confront issues. We do not presume telepathy. We presume good intention and we work from there. I think that's really good advice, too, um, to presume that there will be tension uh, when you're starting out a company. Do you have any other nugget of advice for someone who's starting out a startup or a small company right now at this time during the pandemic, um, a way that they should look at the future or look at what they're doing? Take risks. Uh, Laura and I are both, we're not risk takers, but we are risk tolerant. And that means you're going to try things that may not make sense to the person you're describing it to including your banker, but have a good rationale for it. But don't be so risk averse that you let problematic moments steer you away. I remember a conversation Laura and I had when we were starting Nourish, where someone asked, why are you starting a company in the midst of the credit crunch? And the answer was, now's the perfect time. Because the risk of losing is basically a wash. The real risk is not trying. And that to me is so important because when you're willing to take risks, you see opportunities you may not expect. And I think what I would say is recognize that your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. And that is true for us as individuals. It's true for any organization. And when you realize that and you say to yourself, like, this is my strength, this is what's going to make me successful, but it can also be my weakness. Make sure you surround yourself with people that are different than you, that have different strengths and weaknesses, because that's how you'll balance yourself out, right? Um, and sometimes I think it's human nature to want to surround ourselves with people like us. You know, when you meet someone that's like you, you think, wow, they're impressive. Well, of course they're impressive. They look like you. Um, and so, but having the, you know, the, the sort of courage to surround yourself with people that are not going to always agree with you. They're going to look at things differently that are going to challenge you and, and, and view that as a way to get better. I think that's fantastic advice. Stacy, Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Stacy and Lara, a couple things stuck with me. First, I just loved how open they were about the time they spent treading water while working on Nourish and just trying to find their vision of success in a system that was squeezing them. Sometimes the thing that looks like a big win on the surface can actually be the death sentence for a small business. 
I also saw something really special in their partnership. They seemed so natural and complimentary that it was actually surprising to hear all the planning and foundation work that went into it. Not only do they think their partnership works so well because their lives aren't overly intertwined, they work well together because that fact was rigorously premeditated. They attribute some of their partnership success to their goal setting and their expectation setting and even contracts they signed at the start of working together. But even more impressive, I think, is that their newest venture seeks to solve not just a financial problem that they encountered, but a structural one. As Stacey said, we didn't look like what success was supposed to look like. They want to change the equation for folks who have an extra burden in convincing people to take a risk on them. Because, as they said, the real risk is not trying, and everyone should be on solid footing to give their dreams a try. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. I'd love it if you could subscribe or follow wherever you are listening. And it'll help make sure you don't miss the next episodes of What I Know. Also, if you have any friends who would love our show, please send them links to your favorite episodes. And if you have any ideas for founders you'd love to hear from, drop me a note at whatiknowatinc.com. You can also let me know on Twitter at Legorio. Our producer is Joshua Christensen, who still hasn't signed his NDA. Josh, get on that. Our production assistant is Blake Odom. Our editor is Nicholas Torres. I'm Christine Legorio-Chafkin. Thank you for listening to What I Know. What I Know.